particularly valuable for. Um, you know, it's like when you deal with some of these temptations, there are so many angles and avenues. There's so many things to watch out for. There's so many things to really take seriously. So I, I do think uh, that, that we're going to learn a number of more things here that will be helpful. Would somebody read chapter 7, verses 1 to 5? My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live, and my law is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your nearest kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. Now this starts a series of chapters with extended speeches by women. We're going to see uh, a woman here in chapter 7 that's going to talk for a long time. Chapter 8 and chapter 9 also have prolonged speeches by females who call out to men. I suspect there's something to this, uh, and we'll look a little bit more at that as we go through those chapters. Um, but he starts out, again, with this wisdom lesson of the son, and what does he tell the son to do in verses 1, 2, 3, 4? Keep God's law the most important object in your eyes. Absolutely. Really pay attention, treasure, value, and put this inside your heart. Now, he says, as we noted last time, uh, earlier today, that he says the same things about the parental instruction that he does about God's word and God's teaching in various other passages. Keep my words, treasure my commandments within you, keep my teaching as the apple of your eye, bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart, and all that. It's the same thing you say about God's word. It's again the idea that what the parents teach is to be a reflection of God's word. That's the content for parents. The parents want to know what kind of exhortations, what kind of teachings do I need to give my children? Well, the reflections of God's word, God's teaching about wisdom. It's not that we're so smart we can tell our children whatever we think. We are instructing them in the source of true wisdom, God's word. And so what we need to do is absorb these things inside and out. You know, he says, tie them on your finger. You know, so where you see them all the time, then put them in your heart and live them so that they may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. She's foreign. We're not talking about, like, you know, she's Mexican or something like that. We're saying she's a stranger to the covenant of marriage with you. You know, she is not, uh, she's not yours. She's, she's a foreigner to your uh, liberties with her. And again, we have, she flatters with her words. It's not her beauty that is the most dangerous thing to a man. The most dangerous thing to a man is her appeal to his vanity, to his ego. That's the most dangerous thing. That's the first thing to watch out for, is when she starts talking, 
she's going to be saying all kinds of things that make him feel special and important and needed by her. And we're going to see some of that in this section. Comments and questions through verse 5. Patrick. Uh, what you mentioned about uh, parental <laughs> instruction needs to reflect godly instruction. I've seen some parents out there who are, are Christian parents who are in the Lord, but they're just so prideful when it comes to instructing their children. Well, this is right because I told you to. You know, this is right because it's what I say. <clears throat> and it's all about, you know, what the parent wants as opposed to, I want to raise you to be God. Does that make sense? Yeah. Certainly parents need to teach respect for their authority. But the thing that's really valuable to teach our children are the things that God says. And certainly it's very important that parents not think, well, because I'm a parent, I can teach this even if it goes against God's word. You know, parents who teach their children, you know, lie and tell them I'm not here. And things like that. That's, that's the wrong thing. And I don't care if you're a parent or not a parent. That's not the right thing to tell your children. And so you need to be, a, a parent needs to be a godly person. A parent needs to be living and valuing and treasuring God's word. And wanting that for the children. What would we most like our children to be? Maybe that's something to think about. And something for you to think about when you become parents. You know, what would you like your child to grow up to be? And, you know, if you think about that a little bit, probably that's how you're going to raise your children. And, and, you know, parents have all sorts of different goals for their children. You think about worldly parents. What do worldly parents want their children to grow up to be? Rich. Rich. Successful. Successful. Happy. Happy. (laughs) High status. High status, popular. Now, if that's what you want your children to grow up to be, guess what? That's how you raise them. That's what you're teaching. That those are the values you have for them. And it makes a whole, a whole lot of difference. A whole lot of difference. What do we want our children to grow up to be? Strong Christians. Fear God. Serve God and love Him. If that's what we want out of our children, that's going to affect our priorities, it's going to affect the kind of things that we really teach them and guide them in. You know, it, it really changes a whole lot what we really want. And the thing that happens sometimes is Christian parents who theoretically want their children to be strong Christians, that's not what they most want. It's very easy for us to mostly want our children to be happy or to be popular or to be successful. And every once in a while, you'll see a dad who, what he most wants for his boy is that he be a great athlete. You know, or a woman, what she most wants for her girl is for her to attract a lot of attention from the guys and things like that. That's really bad. It's terrible to think that there could be Christian parents who that's what they really want for their children. But unfortunately, there are. So what we've got to make sure is what we really value and treasure is the Lord. And so above all things, we want our children to grow up following the principles of wisdom. We want them to glorify God. And I tried, you know, as a parent, to teach that to my children and to reflect that. 
trying to think about that. I, I told them, you know, what I most want for you is that you serve God, and I tried to live that and act that way. Um, so that, that's certainly what we need, and we need to be careful as parents that we can teach them things that subvert that. Plenty of worldly philosophies that are diametrically opposed to God's work. We don't teach them that. We teach them to avoid those things. Other thoughts? Fine. Um, so look at what happens here. Yeah, this is the teaching of the, of the Father. It's very interesting how he describes this. I think you'll uh, find this intriguing. Six to nine. For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice, and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sin, passing through the street near her corner. And he takes the way to her house in the twilight in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. Okay, so where's uh, where's the father here in this uh, in this story? Yeah, he's looking out the window on the street and he's describing the scene. There's two players in the scene, and he first describes the victim. Who is that? Yes, a young man who's naive, who's not very discerning, doesn't have good sense. And what does he see him do? He's passing through the street near her corner. Oh yeah, he goes where he probably shouldn't. You know, now the her we're going to see in a moment. She uh, is the immoral woman. And he happens near her corner. He, he happens to take the way to her house. And it's uh, the right, you know, this, it's the right time, you know. When do those things mostly happen? You know, at night. Yes, when it gets dark. So it's the twilight, the evening, the middle of the night, the darkness. So time and place sort of join forces against this uh, naive young man. It's kind of a fatal combination. And it's kind of like if you want to avoid the devil, stay out of his neighborhood. You know, don't get close to it. You know, if you stop to play in the devil's neighborhood, mostly you don't ever leave. Probably. You know, for many of us, you know, walking down the street may not be our mode of, you know, operation. That's probably not where we're going to be picked up. But think about it. What are some of the kinds of places a young man ought to avoid. A girl's house while they're there alone. Absolutely. You go to her house, and nobody else is there. That's not a good idea. Or, I hear about more and more even Christian parents going along with this, like hotel rooms together. Think that we want to save money? And I was like, well, that's stupid. But what are the kind of places should a, a young man avoid, perhaps? What's practical? What would happen? When you say young, what age? I don't care. Teenager, young adult. What are the kind of places that we get invited to that maybe would be a good idea? 
I've been invited to strip clubs and of course I say no. Okay. Nightclubs? That kind of stuff? Bars. The bars? What about maybe less hardcore stuff? What kind of stuff do you get invited to? Parties, friends, houses, there are Christians. Yes. There are some kind of parties. Party doesn't sound bad, does it? That sounds innocent. You know, it sounds it doesn't sound like a, you know, nightclub or, you know, something like that. But what happens at some of these parties? Illegal things going on. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, alcohol and uh, other substances and, you know, uh, stuff between the guys and the girls and things like that. I mean, those are not the places we go. It's a lot of kind of parties. With non-Christians, that just are not appropriate for a Christian. But, but, you know, it's like, well, all the kids are going there. You know, well, I don't care who's going there. If it's bad stuff that's going on, don't get close to her house. You know, don't take that route. It's not a good place to maintain your purity and innocence. You know, a place like that. Even, you know, some places of entertainment are not good places. You know, it kind of depends. I mean, there may be some skating rinks and bowling alleys and whatever that kind of things that are down there are just not good. They're a temptation. So you stay away from the places that are going to seduce you. We've got to have wisdom and discernment about that. Now, appropriately here, it's the father that's teaching his son. He's kind of using this as an illustration for his son. He says, you know, son, I was, I was looking out my window and here's what I saw. And he's, he's teaching this so his son won't do the same thing. Sometimes young people are more naive. They may not have experienced as many things, or they may think, well, this isn't going to hurt me. But the parent says, no, wait a minute. Let me, let me tell you about what I've seen happen as a lesson for the young person to start policing himself and not being in those situations. All right, comments or questions through verse 9? All right, the other character in the drama, verses 10 to 12. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot, and so apart, she is loud and stubborn, her feet abide not in her house. Now she is without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait at every corner. Alright, here's the uh, uh, the evil woman. She's, uh, what do you see in her here? She's dressed as a prostitute. Alright. She's dressed for the occasion. Uh, I'm assuming her attire uh, sort of um, shows off her availability. You know, isn't that a big thing? I mean, wow. Even back then, you know, what she's wearing. Well, I mean, that's, that's seductive. Women know that. You know, I know there's some naive young women. But there's a lot of times that women are wearing stuff because they know the guys can look and they want that attention. Well, that's what she's doing. She's, she's dressed for the occasion. And where does she go? Well, she's not going to stay in her house. She can't you know, solicit anything at home. Get out. She is not this careful, modest housewife caring for her family. Where does she go? Everywhere but home. Yeah. She's constantly circulating. You know, 
She actually goes where wisdom has gone, back in chapter 1, you know, the streets and the squares. But anywhere there are people, she goes. She's kind of lying in wait, you know. She's lurking here and there. She's trying to find, you know, a sufficient game for her game. And uh, the corner by her house just doesn't provide enough opportunities. So she's, she's on the prowl. She goes wherever she needs to go to find uh, the naive man. Comments and questions on that? Matt? She's in public places. She's kind of you know, not ashamed of what she's doing. You're exactly right. She's pretty bold and brazen <coughs> about this. Now, now what we're going to see now is the encounter. And you might kind of start watching for her tactics. So that's what we have to watch out for. Now, what are some of the things she <coughs> does here that are, that are designed to be enticing? 13 to 21. So she caught him and kissed him. And with impudent face, she said to him, I have peace offering with me, and this day I have paid my vows. Therefore I came forth to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen of Eden. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves, for the good man is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. And he hath taken a bag of money with him, and will come home at the day appointed. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. Wow. She uses pretty much every tactic you can use here. It's a pretty uh, comprehensive description of her approach. Verse 13, what does she do? Catches him. Yeah! And... Mm -hmm. <laughs> Shock treatment. She's all over it before he knows what hit him. Hit him. And, and very much the, the sensual sort of thing. She has no shame. And so she's immediately, you know, physically trying to attract him. And guys and gals have to watch those sorts of things. You know, physical contact can easily go to the inappropriate. Easily. <coughs> That's part of how God made our bodies. And so she's really friendly. <laughs> but in a very inappropriate way for her. But she's trying to immediately break down his defenses and, and, and stimulate his interest. You know, he's going to feel uh, that he wants her. And uh, verse 14 is a little complicated. She says, I was due to offer peace offerings today. I paid my vows. That may mean a lot of things. I'm going to give you one. Uh, I could give you a lot more, and you can I'll open this up after this if you want to suggest another one. Is it possible? The peace offering is, a, uh, is the one offering where the worshiper shares in part of the meal. You know, the peace offering, part of it's burned on the altar, part of it goes to the priest, part of it goes to the worshiper. Could she be saying she's got some good, you know, meat? She's got some good barbecue. You know, I have a candlelight dinner for two here. You know, she's, she's got the, the meat for the peace offering. Now, of course, that would be... Uh, you know, very shameful misuse of holy things. But I wonder if that's what she's saying. I wonder if she's enticing him 
with some good food. There's other options, but do you have anything you want to say through verse 14? I, say, I think maybe she's trying to say, hey, I'm a church lady. You know, That's another possibility. You know, I'm, I'm a really good person. I really am. But, you know, yeah. So I'm trying to entice him with that. Who, who is going to be most dangerous for us? Sometimes it's not the wicked people in the world. Now, unfortunately, Christians sometimes have problems with this, but I, I would hope for most of you that the gross prostitute on the street corner is probably not going to be your most dangerous you know, woman. Watch out for her, but, but I suspect you've got people who, who will be more dangerous, and it may very well be that the most dangerous ones are the Christian ones. Because you didn't let your guard down. Because they seem so good. Nothing will happen. She's a Christian. I wish that was true. So we have to be careful even about that. Maybe that is what she's saying. Maybe she's saying, well, hey, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not a bad woman. Other thoughts through verse 14? In verse 15, wow. What do you see in verse 15? Well, she's seeking him, which just doesn't show a very submissive attitude. Usually the guy takes her. That's one thing, but I'm thinking of something else with that. It seems like she'd be lying about it. Like she says, you know, I've been looking for you, but probably would have gone for the first guy that offered. Yes! <laughs> you know, oh, I've been wanting you. Well, he's the right one because he looks brainless. You know? <laughs> I mean, that, that's about all that amounts to. But she's like, oh, you're the very one I was looking for. Oh, you're this, you're that. Back to this. Pride, you know, appealing to his pride, to his ego. You know, I can't live without you. Right. <laughs> Don't fall for that one. You know, I mean, this woman that can't live without you, baloney. <laughs> Anybody can live without you. Don't fall for that one. <laughs> There's five and a half billion people out there. I mean, one person is not good. Exactly. But, but you get yourself drawn into a relationship. And and she's like, oh, I've just got to have this. I've got to have that. I'm just going to, you know. And, and, and a guy will, will go way beyond what's wise because she needs him so bad. You know, she just can't. Wow, I mean, you know, what's she going to do to herself if he's not there, you know, 24-7, you know, and he's not doing this and that and everything? Forget it. You know, who wants a woman who can't live without him? You know, what kind of um, lack of something she has? You want, if you want a fine young lady to marry, Make it a young lady who can live without you. Who can live because she has the Lord. And who is not just dependent on, well, if it wasn't you, I'll kill myself, or whatever. And you don't want somebody like that. You don't want somebody who's clingy, who just is obsessed with you. You want somebody who has a life with or without you. And of course, this is just her line, obviously. She can't live without whoever she happens to meet. <laughs> and then, 
What does she say in 16 and 17? <coughs> That's nice. Yeah, I've got everything already. You know, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be wonderful. You know, she's, she's, she's making this appealing in every sense. You know, it's just so, so inviting. But verse 18 is fascinating. Do you see the thing in verse 18 that's striking? She's really up front. Yeah, she is. This is real true love, right? What's, what's the key phrase in verse 18? Until morning. Until morning. Wow! This is sensual pleasure with no commitment, no attachment, no anything. It's designed to only last till morning. This is a one-night deal. Uh, I don't look at it like that. I think that's what she's saying. Okay. Now, she's saying it'll be all night. She, she's trying to say, oh, we'll enjoy the night together. But when she says until morning, that's exactly what she is saying. They, they both understand. Husband will be back, but not for a little while. Now, this is not like she's leaving her husband to go with him. Isn't that amazing? I mean, she betrays herself in that language. You know, she's saying, well, we'll, we'll be able to spend all night and enjoy ourselves. But her until morning is, in fact, the truth about it, it's just a one-night stand. You know, and, and you think about it. Love never fails. First Corinthians 13, 8. Love lasts. Lust is fleeting. <clears throat> you know, true love is not subject to time limitation. So, so this is only intended as a brief encounter. I, I don't know that this is so common just as a phrase here. But it's really amazing in Brazil. They, they've got a phrase for this. Where a guy and a girl just, it's just a one evening event, just, you know, making out. I mean, not necessarily with sex included, but just making out for, for the night. It's intended to be, we're just, you know, it's just, just for a few hours and that's that. It's like, wow, such, such just degrading our bodies and our whole emotions. You know, if we've got, you can give yourself to somebody for a night. It's just so gross when you stop and look at it that way. And that's what she's saying. Of course, she's giving the reassurance in verse 19, for my husband's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He's taking a bag of money with him. <laughs> and he's not going to run out anytime soon. At the full moon, he will be home. What extraordinary luck. He's gone for a couple weeks. You know, now what does the devil always try to to, to, to furnish us when it comes to sin. You won't get caught. Yes. That's always what the devil says. He wants to separate what we do from the consequences. You know, it's not that it's right that you can get by with it. What did Satan tell Eve? You surely won't die. You won't die! Nothing bad will happen. That's what Satan always wants us to believe. Nothing bad will happen. <coughs> wow. <coughs> you see, I mean, among other things, would you do wrong if you knew you could get by with it? 
Who says we will? But what if you knew you could? So, so your commitment to God is only a matter of, you know, just because you think you can't get by with it. You know, we've got to have principles. You know what's right regardless. You know, we're so much into this, if nobody finds out, it's okay. It's not okay if nobody finds out. So It's not okay if it's wrong. She's like, he won't know. He's gone. You know, he's got a lot of money. Nothing will happen. And so, with her many persuasions, verse 21, she entices him with her flattering lips. She seduces him. You know, and she just reels him in. Comments and questions. You know, in 18, when it says, come let us take our fill of love until morning, let us delight ourselves with love. I just think of like, people in the world like I work with when, well, because they know my viewpoint on all the stuff that we do before we're married, and uh, no, I they call it making love. You know, they make it, so it doesn't sound as bad. I don't know, when I was reading, when we read that, it just made me think of the way they, they, they try to make it sound flowery. You know what I mean? Like, like as if it's not bad. You know, yeah. I just like, I don't know, like, oh, it's just making love. Yeah, who could be against love? Yeah. Yeah. The devil always does that. He always, you know, renames sin to make it sound good. Other thoughts? 22 and 23? <coughs> All at once he follows her, as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught, in, is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, and as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. So, here is the consequence. You know, what really is happening when he goes to her house? He's going to make another offering. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's following her to her house. No, actually, he's following her to his own funeral. This amounts to You know, he lets his glands do his thinking for him. You know, he's not watching out for, you know, the real dangers involved. Like an animal. I mean, how many times will a stupid animal, you know, see the bait and lunge for it and not realize the trap? You know, the, the you know, tuna or whatever grabs the, uh, grabs the, the fishing line with the worm or whatever. You know, it's the idea, you know, you're only seeing the pleasure. You're not seeing what's going to happen. Always in Proverbs, wisdom is seeing the consequences and not just the immediate fun. You've got to think. You've got to think long term. Here's what I'll help you. Just do what God says. Don't get you out of all that problems. You know, because, because the wicked way, it's only fun in the short run. The consequences are always painful. Don't go there. Don't do that. <clears throat> You know, we think, oh, it's not going to happen to me. It won't be a problem for me. You know, don't, don't swallow that one. Say. And that's why I think it's important to remember that in the beginning of each of these chapters, he's mentioned the idea of keeping the commandments of the Lord close to our hearts before we get into the situation. You can't get into the situation and think, okay, what are the consequences? You have to plan. 
you have to know, at the beginning of the day, these are the consequences of sin. I decided today that I will not pervert myself to self in these ways. We can't wait till we get into the situation and start thinking these things. By that time, our mind is already being tempted. We're going to have other thoughts. We have to decide right now and during the day and throughout the day and in the morning that we are not going to give in to these things. We have to decide that. We can't wait till in the moment. Oftentimes, that won't work. Well, minds are already going towards sin. That's exactly right. You know how that is. You know that you get so far down the road by trying to stop halfway down the playground slide. That doesn't work very well. Unless it's like those old metal ones. (laughs) (laughs) Don't ruin my illustration. (laughs) You start burning flesh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, just great lessons and principles. That so much better to listen and do what he says, and so much easier to stop before you ever get close. Patrick. I think what our problem is, see it describes this man as a mindless animal, like he's just going to this trap. I'm smarter than that. I'm not a mindless animal, you know. I I'm more aware than this guy. You understand my point? Yeah. Exactly. We flatter ourselves that we're smarter than that. And the truth of the matter is, none of us are given the wrong situation. You know, all of us fall if we let ourselves. I've heard you make this one before, but even the wisest man in the Bible, the man after God's own heart, and even the strongest man in the Bible all sinned with this. Absolutely. Why are we so arrogant to think that we won't? Exactly. Exactly. You know, of all people who should never have had a problem with women, would it have been Solomon? As I show you, you know, none of us are very smart when we just plunge along into a tempting, seductive situation. You don't go near her house. Stay away from those situations. You know, and, and you might think about, think about scenarios that are probably pretty common, hopefully not in your house. But what happens when mom and dad say, you know, son, daughter, that's not the kind of party you ought to go to. It's not going to be good. What's the common, you know, uh, young person answer to that? Everybody else is going. That or everybody else is going. Yes or I'm strong. I'm not going to do anything. It won't bother me. You know, I can be there and do all this, and nothing will happen to me. What would you What would you call that attitude? Arrogance, pride. And, and, and being really naive. That just shows how unwise we are when we think, oh, more won't happen to me. That's not everybody else is going to. It won't happen to me. You know, we just got to be warned. It won't happen to me if I don't go there. But when we put ourselves in bad situations, why don't we think it'll happen to us? Why do we think suddenly we become smarter than everybody else has ever gone into those situations? You know, it's just, it, it's, not, it's not wise, 
And so he's saying, listen and don't get close. Say. It's kind of a mind, it's not like a stupid question, but I'll ask anyway. Um, I guess I was thinking about this idea of committing adultery, but in Solomon, at least in Solomon's case, I guess the only way he could technically commit adultery would be taking a man's wife, correct? Because he had, like, yes. however many wives. I mean, right. I guess if he had a, had a wife and took on, if this situation happened if with a woman that wasn't married, I guess in that time it wouldn't be wrong. How would you look at that? I guess I'm thinking about the fact that he obviously did these types of things. He took on other women while he still had wives. Is that, was that in that time it wasn't considered adultery? Correct? It was not considered adultery. That's correct. Oh. Now, taking a single woman, you know, and violating her would not be right. Well, sure. But he's really, the main focus of what he's saying here is adultery. You know, he's thinking of it primarily from the standpoint of taking another man's wife. Okay. You know, but, you know, the same principles apply for any kind of sexual sin, you know. And so, I mean, that's not out of the question for us. I mean, there's plenty of single people who've had affairs with other guys' wives. You know, that's something to be careful about. I mean, what do you do, guys? You start working somewhere or whatever, and there's this young married woman who's quite available. Now, I understand if you're a single guy, you would have the right to get to know and ultimately marry a single eligible woman, hopefully a strong Christian woman. Uh, but she belongs to somebody else. You have to stay away from her. You don't, you don't develop this closer relationship. We don't have to be a married man to be able to commit adultery. If she's married, or a married woman to be able to commit adultery, if he's married, you know, there's... You don't have the right to have a close personal relationship with somebody who's married. You know, even if you're single. You've got to be watchful and thoughtful about that. I don't know that, I don't, I'm not sure this happens in the U.S. I happen to know about this situation in Brazil. Um, I don't really know what's going on with this, but one of my friends has a band teacher who, there are several, young ladies in the band that are very, um, you know, attached to him, writing him notes and doing all kinds of things. And he's certainly conducting himself in inappropriate ways. I don't know if he's just leading them on. I don't know if he's doing things that are worse than that with them. But wow, it's just really ridiculous. And then he's twice their age. But that stuff happens. We've got to be careful. Yeah, it's just not even even for us. Be cautious about someone who's married, even someone who's married who's older. You know, we can develop these attachments that are just not appropriate, and things happen that absolutely should not happen. So watch, you're careful. You put that appropriate distance, and you don't develop some kind of special attachment. It's got to be an appropriate relationship. Um, and, and sometimes we're just naive. You know, sometimes you might think, oh, this guy's married, he's not going to be interested in me, and you know, I can you know, be really flirtatious and get his attention and do all this stuff, and it's not going to be anything. That's not the way to act if we don't want it to be anything. 
sometimes these situations present themselves to us and they seem harmless at first. Uh, like, for instance, the other day, uh, in Madison, the young people were starting to really try to get together more, be more involved with each other. And that's been really awesome. It's been really encouraging. And we were getting this uh, breakfast organized where allowed us to get together before school where we were going to have breakfast. And, well, <clears throat> one guy is out of town. I spaced and forgot to tell another guy. Then a girl canceled, so it ended up just being me and one other girl who were available to go. And uh, I realized this at like 11 o'clock the night before. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and she's currently dating someone else. And I talked to Nicole about it, and she, you know, she trusts me to be in that situation, but I don't want to do that. I respect for Nicole, and especially I respect for the man right. she's dating. And, you know, it just comes back to if we really loved other people and if we really had compassion for other people, we wouldn't be doing these sorts of things. And, you know, that's kind of an accidental situation. What purposeful, but I think the right thing to do is to avoid it. But, you know, we're bad about even creating situations. You know, we all like attention. We all like people to notice us. So you think about what happens. You know, in our culture, when you date somebody, you know, it's not as it was even totally when I was growing up. It's generally considered to be an exclusive thing. You know, you're dating somebody, you know, in a, in a formal way, then it's intended that for the time you're dating, you are with each other. But you know, there's lots of guys and lots of girls who they like to get attention from others. And so while they're dating so-and-so at school or at church or in this town, they're sometimes in other situations. And so what do they do? Try to attract attention, try to flirt, try to, try to you know, just play around with, you know, other girls, other guys. That's not right. That's not wise. And it's really a betrayal of what I'm portraying to the person I'm dating. You know, if I'm telling some girl, hey, for now I'm attached to you. And I'm not, you know, I'm not looking around at others. They keep up with that. Now, I understand in our culture, dating is not a binding thing. You may say, hey, listen, I want to call this off. And you may eventually get involved with somebody else, you know, in a dating relationship or whatever. Even dating, and be very careful about what that means and what we're doing. There's lots of things that are called dating that are wrong. But, but we have to be very careful that we're being honest and honorable and sincere. There's lots of guys who want, or lots of girls who kind of have to want, want to have somebody interested in them everywhere. You know, just kind of, you know, we're not going to do anything. It's not really bad. It's just kind of leading people on and getting a lot of attention. Those things are wrong. You know, we need to be ethical, sincere, moral, honorable, you know, and just leading somebody on. You know, I'm dating somebody, but I'm trying to get this girl to, you know, think that I'm interested in her too and she'll give me attention. She'll like me. That stuff stinks. That's not, that's not loving, kind, it's very dangerous. You know, 
What's going to happen when you get there? And you start doing the same thing. You know, it sets up a really bad pattern of, you know, I'm not content with a, an exclusive kind of a relationship. I just want everybody to look at me, and I want to show that I can attract lots of, you know, girls or guys' attention. Other thoughts? It's, I mean, just because you have a ring on your finger doesn't mean the attention that you're seeking is going to be fulfilled exactly in your wife. Unless you, during your dating relationship or during the time you're engaged, that's exclusively what you're focused on. Sure. The other point is, I think it's important, is this isn't a game. This isn't something we just play because it's fun. This isn't psych wars. It's not what this, that's not what it's intended to be. This is intended to look for someone that will help you serve God better. This is not about someone that will give you the most attention. It's not even about the person that can give you the most pleasure. It's about the person that's supposed to help you get to heaven. Help you be closer to the Lord. This is not a game. This isn't game time. This isn't trying to find out how many counting people you can get to date you in one year. That's not the point. And although a lot of times in our culture, that's just the way we think. Somebody who's flirting is thinking about whom? Themselves. Themselves. You know. You're flirting, you're not thinking about trying to serve others and help others. You're thinking about how to get attention for you. You know, something that I, I read a long time ago, when you start thinking about getting married, think more about being the right mate than finding the right one. That's not a bad admonition. Now, we need to be wise about our choice as well. But, you know, so often what we need to get attention to is being the right kind of person, having good character. Well, how about the rest of this, 24 to 27? And therefore, listen to me, my child, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to rage. Do not stray into her path. For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way that hell, the city of the chamber is dead. Listen to me, you know, my sons, pay attention. What do you have to watch? Your heart. What we do follows what we want. Don't want the wrong things. Because look at what's happened to those who've gone before you. Many of the victims she's cast down. Her house is the way to death. She's vanquished a whole army of men she's hunted down. Her bedroom is no ballroom. There's a lot of corpses there. She's been the downfall of many a man. Don't you be the next victim. You know, be watchful and thoughtful about these kind of things. Again, think about the consequences. Don't get near her house. Don't ever go there. That's not the place a virtuous man goes. Strong language. Maybe, maybe it's don't think it can't happen to you. You know, <laughs> kind of like there have been better men than you who followed to her. You know, so stay away. Comments and thoughts. Just what we mentioned earlier. I think it's interesting how it's worded. It says many strong men have been slain by her. You know, about Samson. 
strongest man that ever lived, you know, Delilah, to seek his heart. And, you know, we mentioned Solomon, Rich and David, man after God's own heart, you know. Like, like we said, maybe we shouldn't have an air conditioner. him who, let him take heed, lest he fall. Absolutely. You know, it, it's always unwise for us to think we're going to be the exception. You know, other people, you know, have all these problems, but it's not going to happen to us. Why wouldn't it? What, what suddenly makes us the only one that's able to resist where everybody else went down the wrong road? You know, you just don't get close. You don't put yourself in tempting situations. That's got to be our response. You know, you just don't, you don't let yourself play with fire. Other thoughts and comments? Alright, we have a little bit more time, but it's going to be about three months before the next uh, session, so I think I may just stop here and uh, let us start in chapter 8. I think probably maybe in early January or sometime like that.